Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. It is the last day of Hip Hop Week and today you are going to hear from one of the biggest rappers in the world right now, Saweetie. Literally billions of streams online, number one singles. She has a McDonald's meal named after her. She'll be here to talk about rapping about luxury and about wealth, but in reality being this broke student. And about how MC Hammer is kind of her uncle. That's coming up. I'm Tom Power. You are listening to Q. It is Friday. As I mentioned, it is the last day of Hip Hop Week. Let's listen to some music. Going live on my birthday. Spinning 100 racks on a new chain. Going dummy, going insane. You can race with us, but it ain't safe. Going live on my birthday. Spinning 100 racks on a new chain. Going dummy, going insane. You can race with us, but it ain't safe. So, Sweetie, right there, that's a song called Birthday featuring Tyga and YG. Sweetie is just one of the biggest rappers in the world right now. Like, if you're not super plugged into modern hip hop, if your like, love of hip hop ended with. California love, you should know Saweetie. Her career started back in 2017 with her debut single, Icy Girl, which kind of broke the internet when it was released. Since then, it's only been up from there. Saweetie's been nominated for a Grammy, had number one singles, collaborated with everyone from Doja Cat to 2 Chains, and has earned fans all over the world, all before releasing her debut album. Saweetie has set herself apart by making rhymes that are as vulnerable and empowering as they are catchy and danceable. But here's the thing. Saweetie hasn't sat down to do too many interviews up to this point, so we were really grateful to get a chance to talk. And we talked about things like why when you're a broke student, it's good to write about all the things that you want materially. The sort of uh, cognitive dissonance that happens when you get everything that you've been looking for. And why she thinks it's important for kids as young as 11 to learn financial literacy. Here's my conversation with Saweetie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. That was such a lovely introduction. Thank you. Oh, come on. I, I mean it. You know, it's been it's really amazing to see kind of like what's been happening in your life over the past, like, I don't know, what, five, five years? Yeah, five years. You're correct. Does it ever catch you off guard? Mm, no, I feel like I've been working for a really, really long time. <laughs> it's been really interesting to see your career over the years. And when I was getting ready to do this and I did a bunch of research for it, it's, it's been interesting to kind of see where you came from and how it all ended up turning out. One of the things I saw in an interview I read with you is you say you grew up in a hip-hop household. Can you tell me what that means? Well, my parents loved hip-hop. My mom loved female rap. And my dad loves, you know, I'm from the Bay, so the hip-hop scene is really big out there. But he loved local rappers, big fans of like Tupac and Biggie. So they were always playing just different types of um, of artists that made me like fall in love with the craft. When did you start writing? I was actually writing poetry first. It was my way of like expressing myself as an adolescent child. You know how that gets. <laughs> <laughs> like love poems and poems about, you know. 
just how I felt about, you know, school, life, my parents, my friends, my family. Did you have any aspirations of being a rapper or being professional? I wanted to be a hairstylist. And what happened? When I looked up the salary for a hairstylist back in the day, because yeah. now hairstylists make a lot of money. <laughs> but the salary wasn't that big. So I was like, this isn't enough money for me. So I was kind of lost for a little bit because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But once I realized that music is just poetry over beat, that's when I fell in love with music. What did you start writing about when you first started making music music? I'm um, just being a fly girl, you know, things I wanted, things that I aspired to be. Was it, did, was it easier to have like a model of hip hop or as a, a sort of a career aspiration because of your family? Like, isn't MC Hammer your uncle? He was like a yeah, family friend uncle. My dad was one of his bodyguards. And did that give you like a model of like success in, in the music industry? It's something I definitely aspire to. You saw the wealth, you saw the fame, you saw the success, and you said, okay, well, that's something that I, I kind of want. Actually, I saw the music videos. My, 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 my music hit me so hard, makes me say, oh my Lord, thank you for blessing me. What am I to run and do I love his music videos. And he had a really nice house when I was growing up. So when it's something so close to home, it just, it feels normal. Because I experienced it as a little girl, I think hip hop came knocking back at my door when I was more of like an adolescent. But because I seen it as a little girl, which is kind of like normal for me. Right. You saw it as a little girl. It became kind of normalized. You didn't think anything of it. You wouldn't look at that and go like, oh, you wouldn't sort of apply it to your own life at all. Just the things we experience as kids, we take for granted. Absolutely. And I was a shy little girl. So it wasn't like I was like engulfed in the lifestyle. It was more of like a, you know, like a, a young bystander. You were shy, so you didn't show people the poems you were writing? You didn't perform the stuff that you were writing? No, I was very introverted. However, in high school, I did take an elective that was a poetry class, and that's when I began to express myself. Everyone would always get excited for me to, to perform, and I think that's what gave me the confidence to keep going. You know, what's really interesting to me about when it kind of blows up for you is in when Icy Girl comes out in 2017. Because I'm icy, wifey, haters want to fight me. Never been the one get RP up on a whitey. Keep my hands clean, got some hitters moving shicey. Ask me if I'm rolling with some Gucci, I might be. It's very unlikely, my wrist ain't looking icy. Charging by the minute because my time is very pricey. First off, it's really rare for an artist to come out of the gate and have the kind of success that you did. And I also find it really interesting that what you're rapping about there is making money. You're rapping about a really lavish uh, lifestyle, about grinding it out until you accomplish your dreams. And I, I know you, you said before that you r wrote it about the person you wanted to be. So I guess what I'm curious about is who were you when you wrote it? I was a struggling graduate trying to be discovered in L.A. And I remember turning down like three job offers because I knew if I was to take these jobs, it would just suppress my dream. So I gave myself a year. So I was broke for a year and I did not like it. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna give myself one more year. And if I get discovered within this next year, I'm gonna stick to music. If not, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna figure it out. On the ninth month, I got discovered. It was such a saving grace for like me and my dream because there's like a quote, a dream, if you don't pursue it, just gets stinkier over time. You know, it festers. It's like, pay attention to me, like fulfill your dream, fulfill your purpose, fulfill your, de your, de your destiny. So I'm happy that I went as hard as I went, because if I would have just suppressed my dream, who knows where I'd be right now. We'll be right back. 
your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You were a graduate. You just gotten out of college, like USC, right? Yes. And you had this, like, you had this dream. You, you, you really wanted to to be able to make it, but you had, I guess, you had a backup plan. You had a, you had a gig. You had job offers coming your way. I, well, I was still interviewing. I was, I was still trying to figure out the balance of my life. You know, I don't have this. I don't have money. So how do I make money? So there, were, there's parts of me that would still go out for interviews, but every time I get the job, I would just decline it. When Icy Girl blew up on, well, it got like 10 million views on YouTube, and then it blew up on Musical.ly, which is, mm-hmm. I guess, which is now known as TikTok, which is, which is now TikTok. I've heard people describe to me, sweetie, as like, like a visceral, almost physical response to seeing something they do blow up to get huge, to get the kind of really big numbers. Do you remember what you felt when that started happening? It was very surreal. You know, Icy Girl was like wildfire. I didn't expect for it to just be as contagious as it was. It was really overwhelming. And I, I didn't even have my toe in the door, you know? But from, like, icy girl dropping, the doors just open, and I was able to walk through it, if you know what I mean. Like, it was like I had no name in the game, and icy girl just, like, broke down that door and, like, introduced me into the world of hip-hop. In that, in that week, it was overnight, but I was dreaming about that moment probably since I was, like, 13 years old. So it's years of writing in notebooks, years of praying and wishing and aspiring. But when I dropped Icy Girl, that that video definitely opened up a lot of doors for me. A couple of years go by, then you put out My Type, which is another huge hit. It's your entry into the Billboard Hot 100. And what, what struck me is that you, you like, then you got to live the life that you rapped about on Icy Girl. Mm-hmm. You had, like, rapped about, you know, this this is the kind of life that I want or this is the kind of life I envision for myself, either financially or, or socially or otherwise. And then you kind of got to have it. Did that, did that realization ever come to you? The realization came to me when I was finally able to pay rent. You know, it's the little things that matter. It's the necessities that that you're finally able to fulfill that makes you feel like the dream is coming true. All I really wanted to do was pay my bills. So because I was able to fulfill, you know, my dream as well as create a a stable place of home and income, that's what mattered to me. And that's what made me feel like my dreams were coming true. Right. Because virality and having a song blow up, you and I both know enough people who that wasn't enough for to be able to start paying their bills, to be able to start paying their rent. I'm pretty sure there there are other situations out there like that. I'm just like fortunate and I feel so blessed to be able to be pursuing my dreams and paying my bills at the same time. I guess the thing that sticks out to me and I, I've had a couple I've had a couple of conversations with people who had sort of one viral hit and then they chased it and they chased it and they chased it and chased it, but they were never able to 
to do it again. They were never able to sort of, you know, get to get that happen again. And then, I mean, as I mentioned, you had you had Icy Girl, and then you had My Type, and then you had, you know, Best Friend, and you get the Grammy nomination, and things just keep growing. But is there is there a key to that? Is there something you kept in mind to make sure that it wasn't just going to be one song? It wasn't just going to be one moment? You know, interestingly, when I record, it's never for that next moment. I literally just record to be in the spirit of music. And I think that when you're following like your heart in the studio and you're not following the charts, that's when like God blesses you with like more songs. Like I've never been to the, to the studio and I was like, we need to create my next, my next hit today. It's always just like, what am I feeling like? What do I want to tell the world? So my advice to art to artists, like when you go into that, that studio session, don't chase that first hit. The first hit came, grew legs, it ran and it's doing its own thing. But now it's time to build something else, like build a new song. Not only just for expression, but to inspire. And I feel like that's why my fans gravitate towards my songs is because not only am I like celebrating my life, I'm, I'm inspiring them to go out there and get it themselves. Were you ever encouraged to try and chase it? Were you ever encouraged to not make the art that you wanted to make to try and chase that success? Um, I was encouraged to write a song because <laughs> I grew up like writing freestyles. No choruses, no hooks, no bridges. So that's something that I did have to learn how to do is to to create a song with structure. Because if it was up to me, I would just drop a whole bunch of freestyles. Right. You were used to going in and freestyling because that's what you came up with. And then someone had to tell you, hey, these, you know, th- this, this might go a little bit better if you have structure. This might go do a little better if you have some form around it. The conversation, what, conversation wasn't necessarily like that. It was just more so of if you want longevity in this career, you're going to need songs. You're going to need full songs, not just freestyle. So that's that was definitely a challenge for me that I, I that I overcame. The the other thing that strikes me is um, I was listening to uh, Handle My Truth, you know, where you were rapping about things like, you know, if your partner can handle the things you've been through, about your lifestyle, about the challenges of being in the spotlight. Can I tell you my dreams and nightmares from the things I done seen? Ups and downs, everything in between. If I get up and leave, you gon' chase me or let me go. Even after you grab me up and I say, let me go. Yeah, I want to know. It's a very, very personal song. Can you talk to me a little bit about showing that side of yourself in your music as well? I feel like the things that I've that I went through in my life is it's important for me to share with my fans because you know the my types, the best friends, the tap ins. That's great, but it's just like what is Diamante behind you know the party and the celebrations? Like I go through I go through stuff that other women go through too on a day to day basis. So it was a vulnerable moment that I wanted to share because when I have conversations with my homegirls, they often translate into songs. And, you know, there's that point in in a relationship sometimes where you ask your partner, can you handle my truth? Like, I want to be honest with you, but can you handle, you know, my past? And we're humans. We all have a past. So it was just my, my time of being vulnerable and going into that bag. How did it feel in the studio? Did it feel different? It definitely tugged on a different emotion because normally I go in and it's, it's like a, it's a it's a different energy, but it was a time for me to just peel back the layers of how I felt in certain relationships. Before we go, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Icy Baby Foundation, which is a nonprofit dedicated to educating kids from underserved communities about financial literacy, entrepreneurship, and making better life decisions. I mean, but tell me a little bit about where specifically the financial literacy part of that came from. 
Well, it came from me and my grandmother wanting better for the brown and black kids around America, even across the, the, the globe. But, you know, we had to start somewhere. So we started in select cities, Vegas, Sacramento and L.A. And we wanted to create a chorus that taught children the value of money, you know, and not just shoebox money, because when you're a kid, you know, you want to stuff your dollars in your shoebox. But if you teach kids at a younger age how to properly manage their money, it becomes more of a habit than a lesson, because if you're not taught that as a child, when you grow older, you're often like learn through the mistakes. So why not teach the kids young so that they can create a healthy habit of managing and saving their money? Was there anything that you had gone through in terms of like getting successful, uh, g- getting a, such a big income in such a short amount of time? Were the things that you wanted to correct? Is that why you wanted to switch to financial literacy? Yeah, because when a whole bunch of money is thrown at you, it's just kind of like, um, you know, you see the big dollar signs and you're like, what do I do with all this money? I think a moment that we all aspire to get to is having your money work for you while you're sleeping. You know, putting it in your savings is not enough. So it's like not only are we teaching these kids how to manage their money, but how do we make your money work for you? Well, well, tell me about your grandmother. You did this with your grandmother. She's actually a preacher. So not only does she preach, but she is very involved in the communities. And as a child, I would go up to the schools and watch her teach. So that's what kind of like piqued my interest. And now that I'm in a position that where I have a platform to to educate and to, you know, address issues that are in brown and black communities, I choose to do that because I wish somebody would have did that for me. Before we let you go, it, we're, we're chatting with you as we're celebrating here on, on our show, the 50th birthday of, of hip hop. And what's been really interesting is talking to, you know, women MCs who started out in kind of the early days of the industry. You know, I got to talk to Mishy Me, who's a really legendary Canadian rapper, started out in the, kind of the, the early 80s when there were kind of no women involved in Canadian rap at all. And yesterday I got to talk to another great Canadian rapper who's kind of new. She started out a few years ago. Her name's Charmaine. She's awesome. And she was talking about just how much everything has changed for her And she's seen things change over the years. And, you know, when I was getting ready for this interview, I saw a quote from you. I mean, given that you're one of the biggest rappers in the world right now. And I I saw a quote from you talking about something along the lines of that, like, women are really running the game right now when it comes to Mm. hip hop right now. As someone who's in touch with, like, the artistry side of this music, as someone who's in touch with the business side of this music, why why, why do you think that is? Why, Why do you think that moment's happening right now? Because it's the age of the woman. Our voices need to be heard. There needs to be more women out there that can be identified with. And that's what's so beautiful about this time in hip hop. I feel like, you know how there was like a golden age of rap and hip hop? I feel like this is the golden age of the woman. Like our voices need to be heard. And people are loving, you know, the messages that we're rapping about and that we're performing and that we're sharing with the world. So hopefully more women join the game because it's needed. Tell me more about that, that you think is like a golden age for women in hip hop right now. I mean, there's just so many successful, dope women out there right now. I mean, at what point in, in hip hop were there this many successful women running the game? Yeah. I mean, if you talk to the women I'm, I'm talking to from like the early 80s and that kind of era, they'll tell you it was, sometimes it felt like it was just them. Yeah. And it's just so beautiful to see so many women from all walks of life shine. Before we go, um, we've been asking the same question to all of our guests during Hip Hop Week. So I'll close off by asking it to you. Um, it's kind of a tough one, but I, I think you're up for it. What has hip-hop given you? Peace. Tell me more. Hip-hop is therapy. Think of like your darkest times, your saddest times, your adolescent times, you know? It, for me, it was um, 
me feeling like I had no one to communicate with. So that's why I started journaling. In those dark moments, hip hop was a light and it gave me it gave me a lot of peace. And it continues to do so to this day. So hip hop is therapy and hip hop is my peace. Sweetie, we've been looking forward to talking to you all week. Thanks so much for making the time for us and, and thanks for the chat. Of course. Thank you. We gon' turn up at the party, taking shots off of my body. <laughs> That is Saweetie with Shot O'Clock. Before that, you heard our conversation. She'll be heading out on tour this fall. For more information on that, go to Saweetie.com. That's S-A-W-E-E-T-I-E.com. All right, that is it for this episode of Q uh, for the final day of Hip Hop Week. Um, have a look at our podcast archives there. You're going to see the conversations we had this week. Some of them repeats, like my conversation with Fab Five Freddy and Wyclef Sean. Some of them uh, brand new interviews, like the one with Maestro Fresh West. You can catch all of our Hip Hop Week content wherever you get uh, this podcast, wherever you got this one. The other episode we have up today is a conversation with... I love, like, this side of hip-hop is, is very mysterious to me. It's kind of like the jokey TikTok side of it. Young Gravy and Baby No Money. One's Canadian, one's not. Uh, they got together over SoundCloud. They are making real hip-hop that's kind of um, kind of funny, kind of lewd, kind of lascivious, and is blowing up online. And they were here to talk a little bit about it. Go, uh, go check that out wherever you got this podcast. All right, we'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.